For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled, Show Us the Father. Mr. Grayson. Mike, Mike, shake well before using. All right, it's a new thing here we got. Well, I've already said hello, but I'll say hello again. Hello again. Uh, concerning our physical fathers, uh, he's sometimes called Pops, or Papa, or uh, Dad, or Daddy, or sometimes Old Man. But there are special things that we may remember about our, uh, about our fathers, our own dads. Uh, I used to hear my father when uh, I'd be playing with a, something that is you know, being rough with it, he'd, he'd always say, uh, don't play with it like that. You're liable to spile it. You know, spile for spoil. That's the way he, he would say that word. You're going to spile it. And uh, I remember he used folk remedies. For example, he, would, might, he might uh, put uh, coal oil and sugar on, on a cut. He would uh, dip uh, mint leaves in cool water. I can remember him placing those things on my head when I had a fever, headache. He would uh, also, he might use tobacco on stings, things of that sort. I remember him going to the woods into the, uh, we lived beneath a hill and out in the country, so there, we were surrounded by a lot of trees, but there was a place where he would go and chop wood and he would bring it back to, as fuel for the two stoves that we had in our two room house. And I remember him going, climbing up a tree, Putting some, uh, burning some newspaper and uh, some smoke on, in this hole, and uh, there were bees in there, and he, he would uh, bring out a honeycomb. He would dig up worms in the yard, and we'd go fishing, not really for fun, but just for uh, the necessity of having food on the table for that day. He was 65 years old when I was five years old, so I must have been quite, uh, quite a, a tyke to have to try to uh, keep in line. He wore leather shoes that squeaked. He carried uh, redskin peanuts in his uh, coat pocket. He uh, dipped snuff. He chawed tobacco. He smoked an occasional cigar. And he liked pouring grease on his salad greens. And he had a part in giving me uh, my name, the name of uh, Barnabas. My mother gave me the middle name, Henry. Sometimes uh, my friends might call me Hank. Now, <clears throat> when we think about where we came from, we realize that there is a past. And, you know, sadly, I just really can't remember uh, whether or not I gave my father uh, a, a uh, card on Father's Day or even said Happy Father's Day. I was uh, 14, and he was 75 years old when, when he died. And there's a lot of things I... Didn't know about him. A lot of things I ha haven't learned about him. I just didn't ask. And I was spoiled, temperamental, and impatient. 
and I think Carolyn would probably say I still am. <laughs> but there is a question in the Bible, and it says, show us the Father. But first, let me ask, why be a Christian? Why believe in an invisible God or an invisible Father or in the Son of God, who some say is a myth and who never existed? Why live according to Christian beliefs that many in modern society see as old-fashioned, narrow-minded, or, or as a crutch for the weak-minded? And just what kind of reward, what benefit do you get from just being a Christian who's willing to sacrifice time and uh, life, enduring ridicule or persecution or embarrassment for beliefs in the words and promises of Jesus Christ that we see in the Bible. We know that every religion has its critics, whether it be Hindu or Buddha or Muslim or Christian, and, but each one believes that they are the only one. And some, especially maybe in Protestant America or Protest among Protestants, many might say if only God would reveal himself to us, if, if, to where we can see him, to where we can touch him. And maybe then we could really believe. In Acts chapter 17, you don't have to turn there, it's not going to be up here, but it says that he's not far from any one of us. But we realize that God has chosen to reveal himself in a different way, through the exercise of faith and through a certain amount of time that's allotted for mankind to experience life with or without him. Now, in John chapter 14 and verse 8, which is the title of this message, Jesus, uh, Philip said to Jesus, Show us the Father, and it will suffice us. It'll be enough for us. Just show us. That way we can really uh, get a handle on it, really believe that there is a Father who sent you. And I'm just adding, I'm paraphrasing there. And in verse 9, and Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? He, you know, uh, Christ was with Philip, and, he, and Philip must have known what Christ did and how he was. Have I been so long time with you, yet have you not known me? And I'm sure that Philip may have said, yeah, I, I know you, I've known you. Because he that has seen me has seen the Father. So how say you then? Show us the Father. Verse 10, believe you not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. He, do, he, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. So the being that we know as God the Father is a person. And he was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And that they are so much the same that Christ's words and his deeds are in fact the Father's. Now, most Americans believe in God. And while there are differences, God knows those who are his. But most believe, you know, most believe in an everlasting life. They believe in a reward or hereafter. 
and some believe immediately in you know, going to heaven when they die as their reward for being Christian believers. And there they hope to join, uh, join with loved ones and others who passed away and are now looking down from uh, heaven upon them. And of course that's you know, a comfort to a lot of people to know, to think that their loved ones are there in heaven alive looking down on them. And uh, in a way you kind of wonder, well, you know, you're not, you don't really have any privacy. <clears throat> but that's not according to what, you know, uh, Christ's words, because in Scripture, this is what Christ said in John chapter 14. And back to verse 2. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And... I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So there is a place being prepared, a place that is going to be an, a reward to Christians who believe, who live out their lives as a Christian, who overcome and do those things that, according to the will of God. Now, in Revelation 22, 12, and I have uh, numerous scriptures, and at least you don't have to turn to them in your Bible. All you got to do is look up here, so it makes it kind of easy, I'm sure. Revelation 22, 12 says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So we see that Christ said, I will come again and receive you. My reward is with me. So this promise means the uh, Christian reward is not immediate. It comes at the return of Christ. But first must come the resurrection. When you think about all the things that physical fathers have done for us, what they've given to us, the sacrifices that they've made and we don't know about, uh, there's promises that our Father in Heaven has given to us, to uh, life, resurrection and the things that go, will go along with all of that. A glory that we have, you know, really to imagine the depth of. But first must come a resurrection, a restoring of life when the dead in Christ will receive the reward of eternal life along with those who are alive and remain at His coming. 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, verse 22, it says that as in uh, Adam all die, so even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Those words of Christ, who reflects the will of God, who reflects the, the uh, plan of God, there's a promise of our Father. We're going to die someday, but even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So the reward is not immediate as some believe, though they may, if they wish, you know, believe that way. But it's uh, at his coming. We know uh, from other scriptures that man is mortal, that he is flesh and blood. And we know that at death all consciousness just comes to an end. All thoughts, all emotions, all feelings, everything about that person just comes to an end. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5, the living know that they shall die, 
Uh, we don't like to think about it, but we do know that is a truth. But the dead, those who have, are dead in their graves, uh, they know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a, a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. So they're not striving to work and try and profiting from the work that they do because all of that has come to an end. Psalms 146 tells us about this state of death in verse 4 because it says, In that very day his thoughts perish, his breath goeth forth, he returns to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. But then comes a resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4 Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And uh, so we see that uh, they are to rise from death. They're, you know, not alive in heaven, but they're going to arise from death. There's a mystery about that, that there's, you know, some of us may not understand. I don't understand all of it. But the spirit goes back to God and how it's, you know, kept there, how it's preserved, I don't know. Some uh, liken it to uh, may, in the days of the old cassette tape, you know, everything about you is put on the cassette tape. Maybe it's a CD or whatever it might be. But the spirit goes back to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again, the resurrection chapter, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. For we shall not all sleep, and that's how the Bible describes death, that it is as a sleep. But we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, and you know, Paul is describing himself. It's much the same way that we would describe ourselves with all of our aches and ailments and so on. This corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So you, we as Christians, are blessed with this great promise of our Father to bear the image of the heavenly. That's what's in store for each and every one of us. To bear the image of the heavenly. Uh, back to verse 49 in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So we are earthy. We breathe. You know, we feel pain. We, we hunger and we thirst. But we were, are going to bear the image of the heavenly. For we're going to be changed, as uh, verse 51 tells us. 1 John, uh, well, before I go there, yeah, go ahead and put up 1 John 3, 2. But when Christ appears, we're going to be like him because it says that we shall see him as he is. And so we see that the Father has plans for us and he has hope for us, just, you know, just like any father or mother would have for their children. 1 John 3, verse 2 or verse 1, behold, you know, behold, stop and think about this. What manner of love the Father has 
bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons or the children of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are, you, are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as it is. It does not yet appear what we shall be. You know, what's it going to be like to be a spirit being? Will we, will we be like light that can just go from uh, one galaxy to uh, another at, at, at a burst of, uh, burst of great speed? Will we walk through walls like uh, our, uh, Christ did? What shall we be? Perhaps in reference to the responsibilities that we'll be giving you when you are resurrected. But verse 3, And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So we see that the hope, the word hope here. That's an attitude of confident expectation in the future. You know, the past is behind us, and our steps that are today is what leads us to the future. But sometimes our hope can be diminished by a lot of outside influences, things that might be going wrong in our life, and it's very hard to sustain that hope at times. And when, and when you're close to God, sometimes, you know, the Satan, Satan will come upon you and just do everything that he can to take away that hope and dim that hope. But what manner of love is it that he has set before us for this great change that is to come into our life and to be like Christ? So if we know our destiny is to be like Christ as a spiritual being, someday we are then going to be like our Father. You know, as children learning to get along in life, you know, you crawl first and then you're able to walk skip, hop, jump, whatever, but we all make mistakes. We all fall down every once in a while or more than once in a while. But when we come to accept and believe in God and Christ and are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit to help us along, we become sons of God. We become children of God. And every sin is forgiven and forgotten upon repentance. And the scriptures tell us and assures us that this is how our Father in heaven looks at us and how he wants to guide us along. Psalm 103, verse 8, it says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knows our frame. He knows what we can take. He knows our, our plimsoll mark. You know, the marks on the bow of a boat uh, tells us how much load is on board the boat as it sets in the water, and that there is a certain mark that's all the boat can carry. And he knows our frame. 
He knows our weakness. He knows what pain could probably trip us up. He knows what thing that there might be in our heart that could trip us up. He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. Grows green and lovely and bright in the garden. But then comes that time when, you know, they fade away. Verse 16, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness under children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says for our conversation. And here the word conversation is uh, from the Greek word politeuma. Politeuma. Kind of like politics. But it means citizenship. It means community. And we become citizens of heaven. Living not by the ways of the world. But by the ways of God as revealed to us. Our conversation is in heaven. From which we eagerly await the Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body. That it may be conformed to his glorious body. By which he's able to subdue all things to himself. And then in John chapter 5 and verse, beginning verse 28, marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. All that, you know, all that are dead, all that are dead, they're going to hear that voice that's going to awaken, awaken them and they shall come forth. They that have done good, Unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, you know, we see seven churches in which uh, each one is admonished to hold fast or to uh, repent and overcome in order to inherit the promises, the promises of a crown of glory and, and of life. And this prophecy about those churches is based upon the past, it's based upon the present, and it's based upon the future condition of the church. And revealed in each one of these churches is a character or state of mind of the people, identifying you know, the right and wrong attitudes of those that make up the church. It can also be said that there are Philadelphian or Laodicean attitudes coexisting even among individuals in the church or other churches, depending, you know, a whole lot depends on the society that they live in and how strong it is against them. So the, uh, it could be coexisting. But the point is, we are to see, you know, where we fit and make whatever changes are necessary. As an example, in Revelation 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 11, <clears throat> Behold, as we read earlier, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which you have that no man take your crown. So we have a crown, just like that mansion being prepared, that we have a crown that we are to hold fast onto. It's as good as in our hands if we don't let it go. Verse 12, him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Like the pillars that are you know, behind the walls that we see here, that holds up the roof, that holds up this structure. That's what the reward is going to be a pillar in the temple 
of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. So in addition, we're going to be given a new name. Because, you know, there are so many other things that are connected with our old name. It's going to be a new name. Because we'll be like Christ. And it will be a fitting name. It will be a name that is blameless. A reputation, an honor that is uh, blameless. Verse 13, he that ha has an ear, let him hear. Because, you know, as in, in those days, the words were preached, and here we can read what is in Scripture. He that can read, let him read what the Spirit says unto the churches. And we know from uh, the beginning of Revelation that uh, blessed is he who reads and understands. Now, those who heed and overcome the wickedness of this life, like, like as we read, are going to be given a new name and also power over the nations and white raiment to walk with Christ who has made us unto our God, our Father, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So Christ will come again, and the first time he came was to deliver a message of repentance, of salvation, and, of course, the good news of, of the coming kingdom of God. And when he returns, it will be as king of kings and lord of lords. King of kings, because uh, that's our destiny, to be a king or, and a lord in the coming kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 19. And I saw heaven, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. So if you've seen Jesus Christ and all the names that are there, we realize also that our Father is faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, that's the blood of his sacrifice, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven... The angels which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and uh, he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Revelation 11:5 tells us that the kingdoms of this world shall become his. Zechariah 14. I'm just going to read uh, part of this scripture, not all the verses that are here, but it says that his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a uh, very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So his feet are going to stand upon the Mount of Olives in that day. Ver, uh, Rev, uh, Revelation 2. And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. That is what our Father is grooming you and me for 
in our life is a matter of faith. It's a matter of, of following His will. Revelation 5, 6. We read where, of course, Christ is going to establish the kingdom of, of heaven on earth. And, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, uh, we see that there are, there's a body of governance there, that there are elders, that there, uh, in the midst of it all, is a Lamb of God. And let's go to verse, uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Okay. And the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. That's you. That's those who overcome uh, this world. And the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. But we know uh, that Christ is going to come at a time when uh, there is great tribulation. In a time such as never was. Uh, the whole, whole civilization is going to be facing uh, the end of all life on this planet. And before that time, many are going to wonder, well, where is Christ? Where is God? And so faith is going to be greatly tested at that time, and it's going to take patience. It's going to take faith to hold on to those promises that we have of, of the Father. But we do know this, for the elect's sake, there's the promise that Christ will be sent to intervene and cut short those days, lest there be no flesh saved alive. Isaiah chapter 11. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and many shall go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and he will, I'm going to skip some, and he will teach us of his ways. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations, and, and rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and neither shall they learn war anymore. So, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 19. <clears throat> I did write the, all of these scriptures down, so I will uh, do it the old-fashioned way here. I done forgot how to turn the pages of the Bible now. Luke, chapter 19. I forgot I could read it back there. Let's begin verse 17. And he said unto them, no, this is not it. Oh, yes, it is. And he said unto them, uh, Well, thou good servant, because ye have been faithful in a very little have you authority over ten cities? And the second came, saying, Lord, your pound has gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be you also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, is your pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You take up that you lay not down, and reap that you did not sow. And he said unto him, Out of your own mouth will I judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, taking up what I lay not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gave you not my money into the bank, that at my coming 
I might have required my own with usury. So there is the reward based upon uh, things that we do in this life. Well done, good and faithful servant, he would say. So Christians who overcome this present society will be rewarded, some over ten cities, some over five. In 1 Corinthians we read, aside from that, that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now we're perhaps familiar with that phrase, you know, Jesus loves you. You hear Jesus loves you. Uh, that's good to know, and it is true. Because we read, you know, greater love has no man than this, that a man... Uh, lay down his life for his friends, which is what Christ did. But who are his friends? Scripture says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So yes, Jesus loves you, but to some that may just imply that all you need to know about salvation is the fact that Jesus loves you. But the real question is, do you love Jesus? Do you love God? Do you love the Father? Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. Verse 1, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him that beget loves him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So who is he that overcomes the world? but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So any overcoming that we do is going to be motivated by our love toward the Father, toward Christ, for what they have done for our redemption. John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments, said Christ. Now those spiritual laws are not done away. What's done away are the works of the law. You know, they refer to rituals, sacrifices, and those things. Acts 3.19 tells us to repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Revelation 2, once, uh, I'm just going to refer to verse 14 in Revelation 2. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. You know, so why be a Christian? Here are some of the things that we, that we see. Because when these things take place in our life in the, in the future, uh, we'll be glad that we became a believer and endured as a Christian. Because Christ, in Matthew 25, says, uh, you know, when he, when he talks to you personally, ever how he does it, he's going to say, Come, you blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So our Father has given us many promises, and he has given us a life to live, and Christ has shown us the Father by the way he lived and by his examples, and Christ still lives for us. Christ said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, and that life is one of abundance when you understand the plan of God, when you uh, understand the purpose for our being and the destiny that we have ahead of us, ahead of us in spite of our ups and downs. Because there's always going to be things that afflict us and, and the fiery darts 
that come our way. We just pray that God in his mercy will see us through. Back to John 14, 11. I don't think I gave you this scripture, but it, uh, it says, uh, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, also, or else believe me for the work's sake. So, the purpose for which Christ gave his life, the message of salvation, and all those things that uh, lead to the truth, to a way of life. In Romans chapter 8, we read about the, uh, about Abba Father, that God's Spirit assures us that, uh, you know, we can look at our changed life and see that through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are assured that uh, we are his sons, that we can cry, Abba, Father. In conclusion, let's go, uh, let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes 9 again, beginning verse 7. Another scripture I didn't write down. Give me about 10 minutes to find it. Got these tabs on here, but somewhere in there. Okay, I'll read up here. Verse 7. Uh, <clears throat> Go your way, it says. It's our Father telling us. After we know all of the promises and all the plans that he has given to us, we have this from the uh, preacher. Go your way. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God now accepts your works. Let your garments be always white. And let your head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of the life of your vanity. Which he has given you under the sun all the days of your vanity. For that is your portion in this life and in your labor which you take under the sun. And whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you go. So as we think about our fathers and we give them honor in different ways, uh, let us also honor our Father who has uh, a great promise made for us.